We are in Exodus, uh, the book of the covenant. Uh, God has spoken to his people at Mount Sinai. They heard the audible voice of the Lord. And this book of the covenant is the end of Exodus 20 through uh, the first part of Exodus 23. And it takes that absolute moral law of God, which we know as the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, and applies it to specific situations in Israel. Not an exhaustive list of commands. Um, Certainly can't take into account every situation, but it really helped the people and the judges appointed among the people to uh, deliberate, to make decisions. So that when those life situations came up, circumstances that the law doesn't speak to, they could use this law as a precedent uh, for that. So we're going to look at, at chapter 2133 through 2215 this morning that focuses on uh, the value of property, the misappropriation of property. Uh, I think we're going to read some things that you may never have known or in the Bible uh, this morning. But I think as we read these case laws, they're going to make sense. They're going to resonate with what, you know, what we would expect, our perception of equality uh, and fairness and, and who takes responsibility among property owners. Um, so we find at least nine different case laws on these property issues. And instead of just reading that whole section, like I said, we're going to take this, uh, some case laws that seem to fit together uh, in the text and read those as we come to them. So before we do that, let me pray. Uh, ask the Lord to help us understanding and applying His Word. Lord God, we are grateful for Your Word to us. It is a Word that feeds us and nourishes us, strengthens our faith, deepens our love, and and spurs on a hope that is ours in Christ. And Lord, this is a good Word and a Word that Your people not only needed so long ago, but that we need today to better understand who You are, O God who we are in relationship to you, how we are to love you and to love each other well. So Lord, we ask your help now as we search your word. We cannot expect to understand it or to be able to apply it uh, without uh, your help. Um, Open the eyes of our hearts. Uh, Lord, we pray for attentiveness uh, now as uh, our spirits are willing, but our flesh may be weak. Uh, Strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And I often smile at the coincidences of God, also known as His perfect providence, uh, where He sustains, governs, upholds all things all the time by the counsel of His will. And His providence extends the very passages of Scripture that we're reading, and when we read them and study them together. Uh, So here we are, right in the middle of tax season, going through case laws about property. Um, And I know if I mention taxes, that, that could just cast a melancholy spirit over, over you all. That's uh, Either you haven't started yet or you have started and you realize that you have a long way to go on collecting all that information. Um, but my intent is not to fill you with despair, um, but that we would see the hand of God in this. Um, even in the, the timing of messages like this. Um, so during tax season, we are thinking about the stuff. We're thinking about property property transactions that we've made over this last year. What, what tax liability do we have? And that underlying thought of how do I, how do I reduce that tax liability? How do we keep more of the resources 
that we've earned while contributing what we hope to be a reasonable tax. But even as I say that to you, that's typically not what I'm thinking when I'm collecting the information for taxes. I'm thinking, okay, I appreciate what my taxes go for most of the time, but I really don't want to pay them. I want to keep the property and not give it up to something that I feel like I have so very little control over. How often do we really believe, yes, we should pay this tax, we should probably pay more, but we'll just let go of what the county or the state or the federal government is asking? How often do we think that way? I don't think that's the case. Tax time finds us holding on just a little tighter to the property and that get your hands off my stuff big brother attitude uh, that's there so the holy spirit speaks right to us uh, through these case laws that we can have a hard time understanding but speaking to our hearts so i mentioned last week uh, that god cares about the everyday the everyday stuff about our, our private public morality he cares about tax season our attitude concerning property. And much like uh, last week, we're going to look at some principles that come out of these case laws, uh, what we need to consider as disciples of the Lord Jesus and heirs of the covenant promises that we see. We've heard the people, or the, the people have heard the audible voice of God, you shall not steal. And that is the moral law. Everything that we're going to look at this morning, that will come, that is derived from that, it's going to be underneath that specific, these are all specific applications of that commandment, the eighth command. So here's what I'm going to ask you to stand with me for a moment. Uh, chapter 22, verses 1 through 4. This is the word that people would have heard through Moses as he uh, recorded this from God. Um, hear this from the Lord. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall sh- surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. We'll stop there at the end of verse 4 for a moment. You can have a seat. Um, So deliberate theft, intentionally taking what belongs to another, um, that's a serious crime. Uh, The payment here shows just how serious this is. The animal is recovered, then the thief pays double. Uh, If the animal is killed or sold, which would clearly show the intention of what that person uh, was doing in taking that property, then it was five oxen for one, or four sheep for one, which makes good sense. The ox was a much more valuable animal than the sheep. This was a work animal. Um, so that makes, uh, that makes good sense and why there, were, there was more restitution that needed to be made. And if someone went about this stealing at nighttime, what we might consider to be burglary, they would essentially forfeit their life. When, when it's dark out, it is much more difficult to discern people's intentions. Um, If you're at all like me and you are startled in the middle of the night and you have to get out of bed, you're not all that cognizant of what's going on. 
sometimes even where you are. So if a property owner is startled, can't see, and he feels that he is threatened or his family is threatened, then he may use deadly force. But if it's daytime, that's not the case. Typically easier to see what the intentions are during the day and to take that into account. So the law did not allow the property owner just to take matters into his or her own hands and just retaliate at will. I know we live in Arkansas. We're a state that likes to shoot things. Right? Um, But if it's four in the afternoon and you left the garage door open and someone comes in and grabs a bike or your favorite fishing rod and you catch them running away, you can't gun them down. Even if you have private property signs all over the place. So the thief, in God's law here, the thief is still a human being, much more valuable than the property, and the thief still has protection, which is something very unique in the case laws of Israel. In the laws of surrounding nations, if someone was caught stealing, particularly if that person was of a lower class, and that was it, that was a capital offense, but not the case among God's people. Always a greater value placed on people than property in God's economy. And so we find that the circumstances, the motives are very important uh, when applying God's law here. And what's so beautiful about this group of case laws is that it counteracts the intentions of the thief. So the thief wants to steal and impoverish another person, but what happens instead is the thief is impoverished. I mean, think about that. That's a big deal. That should be a very strong deterrent in stealing, against stealing uh, someone else's property. Okay, so let's stand up again for the next couple of verses. Um, I've never done this before, but I think it's a good morning to do that. Uh, Next set of case laws here in verses 5 and 6. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over, or lets his beast loose and it feeds uh, in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best in his own field and in his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain on the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. Okay, go ahead and have a seat again for just a couple minutes. Um, It's important to remember that most families... Uh, in Israel, are farmers. Um, So they are responsible for animals, usually several animals. Um, And if you've either raised on the farm or you have some experience on the farm, you know that for grazing animals, they're going to go where where the going's good. They're going to go where the food is. Um, So if if the neighbor's field looks good for eating, then that's where the animals are going to want to meander. So an owner could not be negligent in just leaving his animals unattended uh, that they would graze in another's field. Um, most of them would actually bring their larger animals in closer to home uh, in, the, in the evening time, maybe in the courtyard where the animals couldn't, uh, couldn't get away as easily. Um, same is true if they built a fire, got out of hand, um, or they you know, weren't attending to it, and it burns a neighbor's property, Full restitution is required for this. 
And not just the, the bare minimum or the, the what's left over stuff. Well, you know, my, my neighbor lost this amount of crop. Well, I, I think I've got this stuff sitting here, you know, that's you know, old or rotting. No, that, that's not what this looked like. It was the best produce that the neighbor had. Um, the best stuff that, that they would likely want to enjoy. So again, there's this, uh, this guard against uh, negligence. Um, so there's some scenarios ad- addressing theft, negligence, uh, and then this last grouping uh, concerns the safekeeping of someone else's property. A uh, variety of situations where property, animals in most cases here, uh, were entrusted from one party to another. Uh, I'll let you stay seated, but I'm going to pick up at verse 7. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe, and it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it is for an ox, for a donkey, for a sheep, for a cloak, for any kind of lost thing of which one says, this is it, the case of both parties shall come before God. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe, and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath, and he shall not make restitution. But if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it is torn by beasts, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn. If a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. If the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. If it was hired, it came for its hiring fee. So trusting a neighbor with someone else's uh, or with one's own property. Both parties had a responsibility here. And all these, these different situations help us understand the intention, the desire behind the law here to, to repair trust uh, when that's been broken. Um, and there are some things that, that just happen in God's providence. Um, things that the insurance agency might call just acts of God that these case laws account for. No one intended to cause harm. Uh, no one was really being negligent. Uh, but the property was, was damaged or it wandered off. Um, in fact, the closing verses of chapter 21, we didn't uh, read those this morning, but they fit into this category. And animal, animals are fighting and one of them kills the other. Well, whose fault is that? Um, and what they would do, they would sell the live animal, the one that remained, and then share those proceeds, share uh, the dead animal. Uh, the goal is to make things Right? Between the two parties. Property is, is borrowed. It can't be returned without being damaged. Then it's a one-for-one exchange. Something as good or better than what was damaged or, or lost. Now, that's this idea behind full restitution among the people. Now, this really helps in discerning the responsibility that we have as human beings who don't typically assume responsibility for property of others. 
I think we're far less inclined to take care of someone else's stuff than we are our own. Why we, we shy away from responsibility, even if someone else's stuff is lost or damaged while it's under our care. I mean, why are rented items so beat up? Why, why are the, you know, the rental properties often so trashed? Because of hard attitude. It's, it's, not, it's not mine. I'm not ultimately responsible for this safekeeping. And again, don't miss the, the creepy strands of greed and covetousness that are underneath this. You know, my neighbor, my friend, my, my family member has this. I really want it or should have it. So if it's damaged or if it's lost, then they're really in the same boat that I am and they can suffer the way I do without it. That attitude. Um, I mean, that stings. That's sneaky. It's not the heart of God. When we don't care for the property entrusted to us by others, either by necessity or by the generosity of others, easily builds rifts, tensions in our relationships. So a few more things to think about when applying the principles that come out of these case laws. And the first just, just dovetails into what I've mentioned. Uh, is the care for property. Do we accept responsibility? Care for the property of others. If something is damaged, either intentionally or unintentionally, while in our safekeeping, you know, what do we do then? Do we really believe that it is wrong in the eyes of God to deprive others in this way? I'll just give some simple examples. You know, the dog is digging holes or doing its thing in the neighbor's yard. What do you do? Now, maybe you have an agreement with your neighbor, and that's not a big deal. But if you haven't had that conversation, what, what would you do? Now you're shooting off fireworks on the 4th of July. A little firework you know, burns a little corner of the neighbor's property or something. What do you do? Um, or maybe the fireworks actually land, I'm just thinking of our neighborhood, land on the roof of the neighbor's house. You say, well, you know, do you, do you do anything? Um, or you're, you're cutting the lawn and you shoot a stone, hits a window or hits, you know, nicks the car. Of your neighbor? Uh, it was an accident. Yeah, it was. That certainly may be, but what do we do to try to make that right? So general care, concern for another's property. Think about borrowed property. Um, this could be from a neighbor. It could be from your best friend. Uh, maybe from an employer. Maybe we need to return some borrowed property that we have conveniently forgotten about. Respect, taking care of borrowed property. That, again, that's not the natural response of our sin-scarred hearts. The thieving heart wants to take, it wants to keep, it wants to deprive. If it doesn't belong to me, then I give it less regard. This is, this is a disregard for another's property. I mean, disregard for property and stealing are very, very close friends. Some of you can remember the uh, eight tracks. Some, yeah, some, you've been around. You've, you remember eight tracks. You remember the vinyls, which are coming out again big time. Um, you remember the cassette tapes. This is getting closer. Just about everybody in the room. We are in a day now where I can say, 
you remember compact discs? Do you remember CDs? Um, we really are. Our, our youngest, that, that generation, uh, won't be using CDs very much anymore. It's all streamed. It's all downloaded. But you could borrow a CD, a DVD, from a friend who had purchased this content, and then you burn it. Right? And then you can wear the eye patch and the bandana because you're a pirate. Right? Hijacking someone else's property. And you think, well... That's really not that big of a deal. People do this all the time. Who is that really hurting? Right? And we could you know, trace back the whole production and you know, uh, purchase process and who's losing out uh, when that happens. But the point is, we are responsible, accountable to God. If no one else sees how you may be misappropriating property, God does. Even if nobody else knows your property transactions, God does. There's not a thought, there's not a, a download, not a breach of trust that escapes Him. And that's what's underneath all of these laws. It is God who brings justice, God who ultimately decides. In verses 8 through 11 there, if both parties claimed innocence, then the matter is brought before God, and they swear an oath before the Lord. And a lot of times, just doing that, just being in that place to swear an oath before God would, would bring out enough before the judges that were there to imply uh, some responsibility. To incur, so for those taking that, that oath, it really meant to, to incur the wrath of God would be much more dangerous than to incur the wrath of a neighbor. Now imagine if that were true, if we really believed that in our everyday transactions. Just a brief note here on restitution. The case laws seem much more concerned with the harm done than what crime was actually committed. What harm has been done so that a fair and appropriate compensation could be given? Greater the harm or the damage, the greater uh, the compensation you may remember the oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico back in 2010. Uh, part of the Deepwater Horizon uh, oil rig, there was an explosion there, and it sent what they can estimate right now to be 200 million gallons of oil into the Gulf of Mexico. And they are still assessing the damage of that, and probably will be for quite some time. But, but it has cost BP over $42 billion in compensation for that which is just you know, numbers beyond our, our ability to comprehend. But it shows that when, when property or livelihood of someone else is damaged, even by accident or negligence, it requires this restitution. And if that, that's important, as the law suggests, then that, that should be a strong deterrent for taking, for damaging property now that belongs to others. And this actually stems off greed, We've already identified our thieving hearts. Greed wants more. It wants to take. Which is the very opposite. The antithesis of God's own character. Our God is generous. He's a giver. And as His image bearers are being formed more and more into the likeness of Jesus, we should be givers and not takers. See God's generosity, His forgiving heart in Matthew chapter 18. 
And Jesus shares this parable of the unforgiving servant. A servant who owed a debt to the king so great uh, that it could never be repaid. Uh, but restitution needed to be made, and so the king uh, said he's going to be sold, all his family will be sold to make payment for this. And so he begs the king for patience, as if he could somehow pay this off. And the king uh, lets him go, forgives his debt uh, completely. But then this servant turns right around as if completely unfazed by the mercy and the generosity that had just been shown to him and demands full payment from a fellow servant. And I know it's a different context, a focus on, on forgiveness, but the theme of restitution is there. Christ has paid our debt. He has made restitution for us, for the loss and, and damage of our sin against God. Now we must be willing to forgive, to show mercy, make restitution uh, for others. Um, so this, this restitution has a goal. The value we place on property and the responsibility that, that we take in safekeeping that property, it all has a goal. Um, it's found in the very definition of restitution to restore property or rights of what's been taken away. Reimbursing, returning animals to a farmer, to a family, would restore them to, their, to where they were before and their ability to, to work as before. So restoration means, has the goal of restoring. The very heart of God is Restoration to be reconciled with His people. That Bible that you hold on your lap from beginning to end shows God's purpose and care for reconciliation. Restoring His image bearers to a relationship with Him. And by doing that, then, then right relationship with each other. So true reconciliation is, is the goal of these laws against theft and the safekeeping of our neighbor's property to repair relationships. And one thing you've noticed, maybe you've noticed, is that none of these punishments in the case laws uh, included incarceration, you know, throwing somebody in jail. Um, and I, there may be lots of good reasons for that in Israel, even as they settle into the promised land. But it shows, again, what's important, the, the goal of restoration and not just removal from everyone else. Now that, that's a bit different than the world we're living in today. These civil laws in Israel, I mean, that, that's one thing that it shows us is that they're applied differently. Don't just transfer from the ancient Near East to the 21st century uh, here in America. But, but, but hear that focus. The thinking in our land is if you, you do the crime, you do the time. Okay, we want separation. I learned, that, I learned the U.S. has the highest incarceration rate in the world. I know it's much more complex and, and what goes into that. Um, but it would seem that our focus is more on removal than repair or restoration. I mean, even when the perpetrators are released from prison, we want to know where they are and what they've done so that we can you know, keep, our, keep our safe distance. I think of... We were praying for Keith and Union Rescue Mission. I think of the work of the rescue mission in restoring you know, men and women. I know Prison Fellowship has made some strides in this area as well. But what, what could be done? How could we encourage 
restitution without incarceration. Restitution that actually restores and repairs relationships instead of severing them completely through that. Something to think about. Beautiful picture of this restoration and repair that God desires. In Luke chapter 19, uh, Jesus is walking through the city of Jericho. And if ever there was a thief in Jericho, he'd have the name Zacchaeus. Tax collector who had no problem uh, patting his own pockets with the property of his neighbors. So the people despised him. Certainly didn't have any healthy uh, relationships with his neighbors. Um, so even though he had deep pockets, he's a short man, so he has to give up and get up into the tree to see Jesus. And you, you know the rest of the story. Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm, I'm staying at your place today. Shocked a lot of people, to include Zacchaeus, probably. But the next line we read from Zacchaeus, he says, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. That wasn't required. He chose to do that. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. What is going on here? Zacchaeus is a changed man. That, that is restitution well beyond what the Old Testament civil law required. So in that house, salvation had come. Salvation had come to Zacchaeus. And the clearest sign of this is the restitution he is willing to make with those that he had, had defrauded. Restored to God. Now moves, moves this repair. Repairing relationships with others. That's a very important sign of our own relationship with the Lord Jesus. Our willingness to make things right with others. So the case laws really help us in understanding God's character. He cares about, about justice. Uh, and we know that our God will dispense fairly. Brothers and sisters, we can entrust ourselves to God who judges justly. So why is that? Because this is the very heart of our Savior. This is what Jesus has done in the face of opposition and injustice. Jesus did not revile. He did not threaten in return. He entrusted Himself to the Father who will bring every deed, including every secret thing, whether good or evil, into judgment. Entrust yourself to Him. Take your thieving heart to Christ. Maybe it's your tax time heart. Or maybe just a laziness to, to really care about the property and welfare of others. I think just, just the thief hung there next to Jesus. He turns to Him in repentance of heart, fully admitting that He should be hanging there. Jesus should not. was not suffering justly. So we too look to Christ. Turn in repentance. Admitting that He has suffered unjustly. Bearing the guilt. Becoming the curse for us. So that we might be restored to our God and Father. Enjoy the relationship that He has made us to have with Him. So it's in response to that gospel that, that we offer ourselves, all of our person, and we offer all that we have, our property, uh, in service to the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, that is the desire of our hearts.
to offer you all that we are. We've offered just a portion here this morning of our time and the resources that you've entrusted to us. But Lord, we acknowledge that all of this property belongs to you, that you care about its transactions. And Lord, we show our love for you. We show what it is you value and how we care for each other and the property you've entrusted to others. Lord, so much could be thought about and, and applied in this unique situation. So we pray that through your enduring, timeless word, you'd continue to teach us and guide us as your people. We pray this in Christ's name for his sake. Amen.